You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, Partigan and Stapes invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. Here's my work wife, James Hardigan. And you know what, Joe? This will have been our second show in the space of seven days. And after this, I'm going to need to take a break. So I say we shouldn't do another podcast for two weeks after this. I agree. Let's just take two weeks off. You know what I heard? I heard that work wife is like a, is like a hacky thing to say now. And it I suits just wanna... you perfectly, therefore. Oh, God damn it. Coming up on today's show... <laughs> It's our Barcelona preview show. We got some stuff to tell you about, including the streaming schedule for next week and something brand new that I'm pretty excited about. And whenever there's something brand new that I'm excited about, I wait till we talk about it on the podcast so I can't accidentally tell people about it when we shouldn't. <laughs> you have to see it in a running order and know now I have permission to speak. Yes, exactly. Uh, I played in another Hollywood home game last week uh, same game different names to drop if you guys are all interested in that we can hardly wait great uh oh <laughs> last week i forgot to remember to tell you guys about florida and the big four this is unfinished business because anyone who listened to last week's show will know that joe teased us with this funny anecdote about his trip to florida and we then never got the anecdote. But luckily, we've brought it over to this week's show. Luckily, we had a gaping hole in today's <laughs> running order. And we have time to revisit that. Uh, one of those big four tournaments, by the way, uh, was won by a young lady named Jessica Dolly. And she is the guest on our show this week. I'm very excited about that. I don't know too much about her. And uh, she's been on the scene for a while. So I am pretty uh, jazzed to get to know Jessica a little bit. Uh, this week's super fan, who we will also get to know, is James Reed. I believe it's pronounced Reed, yes. Present tense of Red from Norfolk in Norfolk. Norfolk. You lived in the UK for long enough, Joe, to know that the L is silent. Norfolk in the UK. <laughs> and he has challenged me to trivia regarding the movie Shaun of the Dead Now. The first time I saw this movie, this is actually crazy, James. The first time I saw this movie, I did not really like it. I thought it was kind of boring, and I pretended to like it more than I did because everyone else liked it so much. Everyone was like, this is the coolest horror movie ever, and I never really understood it. I even bought the movie back in my movie-buying days, so I dug out the DVD, watched it again, Everyone loves this movie. I will tell you about what I think of it 15 years later, later on in that segment. Okay, well, let's talk about what else you've watched. What what new things have you seen in the right. movies or TV shows that you've uh, caught up with? Very briefly, three things. Okay. I started a TV show called The Last Man on Earth, which I find to be quite watchable, uh, but not as amazing as people said it was at the time. Very watchable, though. Enjoying it. I started watching a show called Broad City which is sort of like the female version of Workaholics, and I love it. It is so funny, kind of like a girl's gross-out show. And somehow, I went over to Norm's house to talk business, and as he is wont to do, he was like not at all interested in talking business, and he was like, what's that movie we talked about that you'd never seen before? And I was like... And we, he rattled off like a dozen. And uh, then finally, I was going to say, when it comes to movies you haven't seen, I have a very, very long list. Well, he pulled a you. 
And he was like absolutely like beside himself that I hadn't seen when finally we figured it out. Hadn't seen Cool Hand Luke. I mean, that is disgusting that you haven't seen that <laughs> film. And he made me watch Cool Hand Luke. And all I will say is, because I think, do you want to save this and do a full debrief of this on a poker movie month? Oh, that's a good show, actually, because, okay, the, the poker connection is tenuous. However, this is a fucking great movie. So, yes, let's definitely put it on the list of movies to analyze fully in our Movie Monday on a Wednesday segment. I just can't believe that I had never used Sometimes Nothing Can Be a Pretty Cool Hand. Never in all of my thousands of hours of poker commentary. So now that you've seen the film and now you've been exposed to that line, am I going to have to tolerate you shoehorning it in at every available opportunity? It depends. It depends if I can, if I shoehorn it in four or five times before you and I do commentary, you know what? No, Barcelona is going to be the next time. You're probably going to have to to deal with it at least once in Barcelona. What have you watched, my friend? Okay, well, I finished Catch-22, as I said to you last week. Only six episodes. I do recommend that you finish it. I think it's a pretty solid adaptation of the book. I enjoyed it. For some unknown reason, I'm still watching Preacher, which is now in its fourth and final season. It's a show I think is pretty shit, but for some reason, I'm going to follow it through to its conclusion. Um, is, sorry, is the new season of Preacher, wor- I never finished the last season. Is it worth finishing the last season? Is it worth picking up the, just picking up the no, new you, season? you can't just pick up the new season. You either watch every episode or you just bail on it. And to be honest with you, my recommendation would be bail. I clearly Get have too much time. Can. On my hands. Okay. Um, another show I am thinking of bailing on, and this is going to be a controversial one, Archer. I did not like season nine, which was the one on the Jungle Island. The new yeah. season set in space, I'm just like, yeah. oh, this show jumped the shark three or four seasons ago. It needs to end. I'll allow it. I, you know, I Archer is a show that seasons one through four, I don't know if I ever liked a show more than that. And then, like, I want to say, like, five and six were not great and then seven was okay again like the noir one i liked again uh and then i also have not finished the jungle island one so i will allow it i will let you quit archer thank you joe um and last but by no means least i think i referred to this show last week the looming tower which is on amazon prime in the uk which is phenomenal which is a a docudrama telling the the true story of the battle between the intelligence services, the CIA and the FBI, and this is during the late 90s, early 2000s, and really because of the rivalry, because of the lack of cooperation between these two agencies, some of the mistakes, shall we say, or miscommunications, which had they not happened, could have prevented 9-11. And this is probably not a great surprise to anyone. We have the same thing in this country where- 9-11 did happen, yes, yes. no surprise, no spoiler there. Um, but, you know, we have the same thing here where there's this ridiculous rivalry between MI5 and MI6 and the two sides don't always work together. And in this instance, and this is not a spoiler as far as I'm concerned because it happened in real life. And I'm a great believer that this is, if this is documenting um, reality, then if it's a true story, if it's, it's chronicled in newspapers and in news media, it's not a spoiler to say this, even though if you haven't seen this drama, you might be, oh, One of the main characters or one of the main people in this TV show is a guy called John O'Neill, played by the brilliant Jeff Daniels. And John O'Neill was a senior field officer with the FBI based in the New York field office who was really understood very early on, probably from the early 90s, how serious a threat al-Qaeda were. And he was on the Joint Intelligence Committee and he was so frustrated to the point of being angry 
and quite disruptive and being a bit of a dick about it that the CIA weren't sharing information. He was so kind of vocal about it that eventually he kind of gets pushed out of the FBI. And once the Clinton administration came to an end and the Bush administration came in in 2001, he was pensioned off and pushed aside. Where do you think John O'Neill ended up working? What job do you think he got after leaving the FBI? After leaving the FBI? Uh, working for Google. He became head of security at the World Trade Center. Oh, shit. <laughs> and John O'Neill was killed on the 11th of September 2001 while trying to save people from the towers and oh it's just God. if you wrote that in a movie no one would believe it but in reality oh it God. happened a guy who'd been working against al-qaeda and was determined to get the cia to share important information that could have stopped this atrocity became a victim of that very atrocity you know i was uh, everyone had been recommending looming tower to me for the last few weeks and i sat down to watch it i was like i want to start a new show i had just quit a bunch of shows and then i saw what it was about and i was like uh, I'm, I can't, I'm not ready for this. As I've said before, we can only take so much reality. Sometimes we just need pure escapism, which I'm guessing is what Daniel Negreanu was trying to provide <laughs> on his social media accounts. I thought that this was going to be week two of our social media beef with Daniel Negreanu, but it seems that he's pressed the pause button because I was expecting a battle of the podcast to kick off on yeah. Monday, but he hasn't followed through on his threat. He seems to have, at one point, he was like, oh, I grow tired of this, even though several dozen people who I, so, I assume some of whom he loves and respects have said, why are you doing this? Please stop. Please stop doing this. And I didn't, I never specifically reached out to him to say, please stop or don't include me. Because ultimately, I think he's right. When he says, you're a member of the public eye, you signed up for this, uh, he is, in the strictest sense, he is right. Now, he doesn't have to do this, though. It doesn't me make mean that he is compelled to pit these commentators and podcast hosts against each other. And what I made very clear in one of my tweets where someone said, I don't know why this is a huge issue for people. Uh, I'm just going to read it word for word. It was a little weird to be involuntarily entered into a competition against my friends by one of my friends where I was guaranteed to be unhappy whether I won or lost. And that's genuinely how I felt about it. I didn't want to win. I also didn't want to lose. So that's why I didn't really like it. People said, oh, why are you so butthurt? I wasn't butthurt. I just didn't like it. I just wasn't a fan yeah, of it. I kind of feel exactly the same way. And I don't want to dwell on it because, as I said, it stopped for now. Um, but one thing I do take issue with is I do not buy in to this BS argument that if you're in the public eye, you're somehow fair game. And, of course, random polls, the stuff that Daniel's doing doesn't fall into that category. But a torrent of abuse on social media, which this stuff can involuntarily lead to, no one, no one deserves that, regardless of what career they've chosen. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a valid side of it also. I lean toward the whatever. I'm in the public eye. If people want to send abuse my way, like that's a part of it. Like I, I, I agree that it doesn't have to be a part of it. The one person that really, unfortunately, during all of this, uh, 
I was like, you know, this is like kind of par for the course for Daniel, right? Like I wasn't particularly like disappointed in him as a friend, but Terrence Chan's reply to my tweet um, was maybe the one I found to be most offensive or hurtful. I don't know. Like just the most disappointing. Uh, His reply was competition implies intent to compete. If you're not competing, you're not in a competition involuntarily entered into a competition is Daniel now hosting the hunger games. And I really don't agree with this at all. I don't agree that you cannot be involuntarily entered into a competition. I don't know what other way to describe what Daniel did here. It was a competition and I was involuntarily entered. I'm thinking right now being involuntarily entered into one of Daniel's polls versus being entered into the hunger games. It's a race. It's a flip. Who knows? But anyway, uh, it does seem to have stopped. I thought that Daniel was going to continue on with the podcast. Yeah. Uh, and it seems it seems like that's As I said, gone away. Let's so just let's just touch wood that we never have to discuss it, this again. Just let it die. Instead, let us provide the opportunity for some hefty clanging and name dropping as Joe Stapleton tells another anecdote of Hollywood home games. Voluntarily <laughs> competing at Josh Molina's house. Now, I don't know if I went over the details of the last time because I might have been embarrassed, but we play a 2-3 game at Josh Molina's house. And the last time I was there, I think I lost fourteen or $1,500 in a 2-3 game. That is not an insignificant amount of money, Joseph. I kept losing pots to people who pick up their cards to look at them, pick up their cards and lean back. Nice. If that gives you like any sort of indication as to the skill level of the people this game and i could not beat any of them uh last time around it was very frustrating i actually had to borrow money from josh at one point like you know it's always like super embarrassing where you have to borrow money from the host and you know like i never borrowed money from him before too so you don't even know if they want to loan you money because when i host the game i don't really want to loan people money joe back in the day when jimmy the bastard used to run a game Jimmy yeah. the bastard didn't do loans. You yeah, asked for a loan, see, he told you to get the fuck out. Yeah, so the thing is, they want me in the game still, though. It's like, <laughs> it's worth it for the negative free roll for them. So, to ask the time-honored question, Joe, how much did you lose? This time, I only lost $700. Dude, that's a saving of $800. That's a saving of $800. And, uh, again, the player to my right... Um, just ran like absolute God and no one could beat him in a hand. It became like the running theme of the night. Um, Unfortunately, he didn't have a name I can drop, but I will say there was a new player added to the game this time, a fellow by the name of Tom Everett Scott, who I don't know if you know the name off the top of your head, but James, as you know, I'm a, I'm a heterosexual man, but every once in a while I'll spend time around another man who is so, so handsome that I get a little flustered and I get a little weird and I really want to impress this person. And I spent hours and hours trying to make Tom Everett Scott laugh. Hold on a second. I'm Googling. And I oh, he's from um, uh, that, that Tom Hanks movie, That Thing You Do. Scrolling through his credits on IMDb, he was, however, in La La Land, which, as far as I'm concerned, is a black mark against his name. Yeah, anyway, well, 
<laughs> Moving swiftly on. <laughs> What's going on in poker today? Now it is time for Poker in the Year's News. And we go to the state of Florida where the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open has taken place. A huge event, which I got to go with with Joe back in 2014. Joe, you've been back there several years since uh, because you work on this thing they call the Big Four. And I believe this is the, the Big Four events that are on the schedule as part of the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open. Yeah, so what the Big Four is, just in case you guys don't know, they run uh, several events over the course of the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open, and they schedule it so that four final tables happen at the same time uh, in the same room, sort of back to back to back to back. I think it's quite a cool idea. I know that in previous years when you've described how they tried to do it as a live stream and with you somehow comparing it, it sounded awful. But in principle, it's quite a good theory. Yes. And this year I managed to sort of speak up about that. And now I don't know if you, 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 you saw this, but one of my good friends and commentators got in a little hot water for something he said on a live stream. And so they were trying to figure out about, uh, how to not put him back on the air right away. Everything's fine. Everything's blown over. No big deal. But they were like, just out of respect, we're going to try to give Jesse some time off. So I said, look, you guys have me and Maria here. It's pretty weird to have us emceeing the big four because we don't go out on the stream. You try to edit us out of the TV broadcasts. Uh, there's no one in the audience. There's no rail, really. And we're kind of sometimes just annoying the players. So why don't you have us open the show out on the floor and you can have Maria go out and interview the winners. But why don't we do the live stream instead? Instead of doing this semi-pointless act of being out on the floor. And luckily, everyone went, what a great idea. Well, that's so. In, yeah. So instead of just irritating Sean Deeb for 11 hours trying to do jokes that literally no one cares about. Uh, I got to do jokes on the live stream that literally dozens of people <laughs> cared about. That many. Uh, we will run through the winners of the big four events in just a moment. But let's get to this anecdote, this story, this tale that you promised <laughs> at the start of last week's podcast and we never got to. Um, your travel not trauma, but at least mistake, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Yeah, no, I'm dumb. So... Um, you did say the state of Florida. Florida is a state. I mean, it really is in a state. And I got to see a lot of it on this trip because a very kind super fan, one you may remember, I know James remembers, one you audience may remember, uh, by the name of Dana Craven, lives in Florida. And she said, why don't you ever do stand-up in Florida? And I said, because it's just super time-consuming to book Stand up, considering um, it doesn't really pay much, and you know it's just a ten minute thing. And she said, "Well, I'd be willing to call comedy clubs in Florida and see if they want to have you and speak on your behalf." And I said, "You know what? If you want to do that, I would love to do it. And if you pick a place that's near the Hard Rock, and you pick a uh, a place that's near the Hard Rock around." August 13th, which is where I'll, when I'll be working at the Hard Rock, I will 
come at no expense. I will already be there. You can tell the comedy club they don't have to pay anything to have me. Now, Joe, did you specify which hard rock? No, but Florida is a really skinny state. Oh, right. So basically, you know, even if it's the other hard rock, it's what going to be like a 15 minute cab ride from from the other hard rock. I thought that was maybe going to be an hour and a half tops, the two hard rocks. So anyway, she calls the comedy club. They say we're in the comedy club calls me. They said, what's your deal? I go, well, there's a big tournament at the hard rock. And if you have me during this week, I could probably siphon off. Oh, there was a thousand no. runners oh, last year. No. So you're basically promising guests who aren't even in town. Correct. Just so, to be so yes. just to be clear, you've yes. been booked a comedy gig in Tampa, Correct. where there is a hard rock, but yes. the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open is yes. near Fort Lauderdale. Yes, which is not only across the very skinny state, but a good portion of the way down. How many hours by car? Four and a half hours <laughs> by car. So and how I many people? How many of those I poker drove players? It. How many of those poker players that you promised you'd bring to this gig made that four and a half hour drive? Zero point zero. But, but one comedian did make the journey from one resort to the other. Correct. Now, what I will say is this: the second I realized my mistake, I got back in touch with the comedy club and I said, "Look, I fucked up." I will still come and make this trip at my own expense. I don't expect if you want to cancel me knowing that I can't bring anywhere near the numbers I said I would, that's okay. And they said, nah, whatever, come do a guest spot anyway. I still sold, I sold about as many tickets as I had promised because luckily, thanks to Dana and some other poker fans that do live in the Tampa area, plus a few friends. I nearly, I told them like, look, I can probably sell an extra 20 or 30 tickets. I still sold probably 20 or 22 tickets. Okay. So I came through more or less on that. Uh, The gig went really well. It was kind of a a cold room, to be honest. It was not the sort of uh, packed comedy club like James. And you saw me at Top Secret Comedy. Um, You know, that's like a big packed energetic room. This room was a little cold. Um, But the club manager did say hey next time you're in town i can give you a whole week if you want next time you're in town for a poker gig you're doing in fort lauderdale you're welcome back at the poker club correct in In town being like within a 500 mile radius of here so yeah so the next morning i got up and drove to uh to the hard (laughs) rock and honestly i don't mind a long drive i like it i like seeing america uh so it wasn't that big of a deal except for as usual one of my dumb mistakes was very costly because instead of being in Florida for, you know, three nights, I was in Florida for six nights and had like a basically like a six hundred dollar rental car uh, that I had to pay for as That's well. Okay, so because my, you lost eight hundred dollars less in Josh Molina's cash game. So it's exactly you're still, still up two hundred. Still two hundred, yeah, right? Still two hundred up. Exactly. <laughs> That's the way to look at it. Uh, so back to the poker news headlines, and let's talk about the four winners of the big four events at the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open. Sean Winter took down the five k championship event for nearly seven hundred k. And let me, that's the, that's the event that we did commentary on. And I got to tell you, Sean Winter went wire to wire in this event. 
came to the final table as chip leader, won a huge pot like in the first orbit, and never looked back. He had something like a 40 to 1 chip lead at wow. the start of Heads Up. Uh, Sean Deep, who you referenced earlier on, took down the 25K high roller for $778,000. And then we he have... finished. He finished third, second, or he finished second in that event last year wow. as well. Like he's very impressive. Uh, and then we have the lower buy-in events. Keith Brennan won the 1K buy-in event for From just Ireland. over 100K, and Jessica Dawley won the two and a half K event for just over $200,000. And as you referenced at the start of the podcast, Joe, Jessica Dawley is this week's guest on the podcast. So welcome to Poker in the Ears, Jessica Dawley. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me on. We appreciate you being with us, Jessica. I can't believe it's taken this long to uh, to get you for an interview. Uh, congratulations. I really love that screenshot of your bank account. <laughs> Thank you. Thank me too. <laughs> Were you at all worried about putting information like that out there to be like, oh, um, now I've just put a screenshot of me having hundreds of thousands of dollars in my bank account? Um, not really, because you know anyone that follows poker for the most part realizes that I just won 204k, um, so they knew that I won that much anyway. And honestly, I feel like it would be inspiring. It was inspiring for myself. So I was hoping to maybe inspire you know, other people that uh, I really, obviously I have more than $300 to my name. I have more than one checking account. However, um, I will say that this is probably the lowest swing that I've had, um, not just because of poker, but I've, I've been fortunate enough to help out some family and, and do some other things, invest in otherwise. So my uh, life bankroll um, is not as big as it, as it normally is. So I really was taking a shot in this tournament, but I just, I don't know. I believe in myself and I knew that it was going to turn around. And I mean, poker has been fairly successful for me for the last few years. So, um, I don't have a backer or anything like that. And so I thought it would be inspiring for others because, you know, just like Brian Kenny did. I mean, if you don't believe in yourself, who else will? And especially in poker, you know, no one thinks you're good, right? It doesn't matter if you're the best in the world, everyone's going to say you're shit. So if you don't believe in yourself, you really don't have a shot in the poker community. Is that something that's important to you to inspire others as well as yourself? Um, it, it definitely is. It, it kind of has always been my stick, if you will, um, whether it was when I was in the military, uh, graduated high school, early went to the military, um, went you know to play poker professionally. I loaded up my car in 2008 and drove by myself to Vegas to take a shot um, at the dream. So I have a lot of nieces and nephews, and it's really, for, honestly, it's very important for me to set a good example to them and, and be a good role model. And I think I have done that in my life and they're really proud of me. And I'm, I'm proud of myself. So, um, it's just kind of always been my thing. I just, um, I don't know, you know, there's so many people out there that never have the opportunity or think they don't have the opportunity to take a shot and to live the, you know, the life that they want. And for me, I'm the youngest of four kids. And I saw kind of how everyone's everyone else, like how their life path was going. I thought, you know what, if you don't take it, if you don't take this shot now, when I'm like, what, 23 or whatever, I'm never going to do it. And so that, that's really the most you know, the biggest thing for me is just, um, living your dream and try and try and go to go for it. I feel like there's so much to unpack in that brief few sentences <laughs> you gave right there. No, that's okay. That's what makes for like a great, robust, interesting interview. And I don't want to go over too many things that you've probably talked about a lot in the past, even though I'm curious about them. Cause I I've only read a few articles about you. Let's start with graduating early. Um, was this something that you did by accident, something that was important to you? How did that come about? 
Well, to be fair, so after eighth grade, I honestly didn't want to go to high school. I just wanted to get my GED and then go on to college. Um, but I played sports, and sports were really important to me. Um, I was really big into softball. And so in order to be able to play sports still, you have to still obviously be in school. So I decided to go ahead and go on to high school and play softball and, you know, softball and volleyball. So when I got in high school, I was really focused on those two sports. And unfortunately, in my sophomore year of high school, I threw my shoulder out of socket. I used to be a pitcher. And after I threw my shoulder out of socket, that kind of ended my softball career. And so I didn't, you know, come from a lot of money or anything. And so um, there was an opportunity for me to go to college for it to be paid for. My brother, who's 10 years older than I am, he's already in the military. And I saw how, you know, the opportunities that, that he was afforded because of it. And so I thought, okay, well, this is my other path that I can do. And there wasn't a point for me to stay in school anymore because I'd already kind of, you know, exhausted everything I wanted to do while I was there. So um, I wanted to get my life started as fast as possible. So I graduated high school early so that I could join the Air Force uh, right away. And so that is why I ended up graduating early and joined the Air Force in uh, April of 2001 as an intelligence analyst. Right. And okay, so this happened. You joined the military before 9-11. It happened while you're in the military. You get called up. And so your job, can you explain more of what, like, what a military, uh, what an intelligence analyst was while you were serving? Sure. So it's kind of funny when I first enlisted, my, you know, my unit was like, oh, you have nothing to worry about. We haven't been you know, activated since the Korean War. Oh. And March of, two, March of 2003, <laughs> our unit was one of the first units called up. Because we're a C-130 unit, which is the, the big cargo planes. Yeah. And my, my brother is a pilot. So he was, he and I were in the same unit. So he was a pilot. He flew the aircrafts, whatever. And as an intelligence analyst, so when you're in theater, it's much different than when you're obviously stateside. But when you're in theater, our biggest um, like job responsibility is to brief the air crew before they fly in and out of, um, you know, like, uh, you know, let's see, let's see. I don't want to say the wrong word, but when they fly in and out of like, you know, these different countries over there, um, and like tell them what the threats are, what what to watch out for. So we give them a briefing on the way out, and then we debrief them when they get back, and you know, see what they, you know, what they saw over there and everything like that. Um, so it's kind of so like you're literally <laughs> hearing firsthand accounts of what people saw and interpreting that uh, and analyzing that data. Hundred percent, and not only just you know hearing it from them, we. The thing is, is when you go to brief a pilot, the first question they ask you is, I say, I'm, I'm telling them like, hey, well, you're flying into, you know, Kandahar today. This is the groups you need to watch out for. This is what kind of weapons they have, um, you know, be on the lookout. They're hiding in this area, what have you. The first question they ask you is, oh, have you been there before? And if you answer no, their ears just turn off, which makes, you know, makes sense because, sure. they, you know, they're like, oh, you're hearing this, you know, secondhand. You're not seeing it with your own eyes. So even though back then Intel was a non-flying position, I ended up flying into all of those airfields <laughs> because you have to. I mean, you you know, you're briefing them. It's a life and death situation, so it's it's reasonable for them to want accountability from you as well. So that was my main um, responsibility over there was to give briefings to the air crew before they fly in and out, and then also do my own research behind the scenes, you know, to make sure that I keep them as safe as possible. This is ridiculous because even though it is nothing like what you went through, okay, like. And and thanks for that. Uh, but James, just this week, watched both The Looming Tower, which is about all the events leading up to 9-11, and Catch-22, a movie about pilots flying hundreds of missions uh, in the Air Force. It's what we call a just, glitch in the Matrix, right, Joe? Yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. a crazy coincidence <laughs> to have you on the air talking about this. Were there times when you were doing, I guess it was reconnaissance, uh, so you could be... Uh, a part, you know, just have firsthand experience of what you were telling these pilots about. 
did you encounter uh, genuine attacks during those times, or was it just the constant threat of that happening? Um, there was one. There was one incident that occurred. Um, obviously, I can't get into detail about it. Sure. But, um, there was one time where I thought, okay, this might be it, you know. And it turned out to be not that. However, the 30 minutes that it happened was like the worst 30 minutes of my life where I thought, okay, I mean, I was only 20 years old, right? So I thought, well, I guess, you know, this is what I signed up for and uh, this is it. And that having that realization at such a young age really made me grow up obviously very fast. I've always been kind of an old soul. However, that really <laughs> solidified it for me. And um, it made me, you know, give me a lot of, gave me a lot of perspective, which is why I appreciate things so much in my life and try to be respectful of everyone. Um, but yeah, there was that, there was that moment. And actually two weeks after that moment occurred for me, um, it was, it was realized in that same area where a lot of people, unfortunately did not survive. So, um, yeah, there was that moment in my life, but um, I'm very fortunate that I wasn't on the front lines. However, when you're flying into all of those countries and you're on the ground there, it's just really timing and luck that you have on your side to not have something bad happen, unfortunately. So these sorts of moments you had that gave you this perspective, does that all contribute later on to when you decide to take a shot at poker in 2008? Of course, because the worst case scenario in poker, like, like I said, you know, taking that shot, driving out to Vegas was that I would lose money. I had supported myself, you know, did everything if you quote unquote the right way going to college, going, I mean, I went to college as well um, while I was in the military and going into the military and doing everything like that. My family was very proud of me. And they said, you know, like, obviously my mom was like, was not concerned at all that I was going to get caught up in the Vegas lifestyle, if you will, because I have such a strong head on my shoulders and I'm so focused, but, um, she was nervous for me just moving out there by myself, but she was very proud of me, really wanted me to take that shot because she had gotten pregnant at such a young age and had kids. So her life kind of went a different direction. And so she was very kind of adamant about me living the dream. And so, yeah, the worst case scenario is that I would lose money. Right. And then I have two degrees to fall back on and an Intel background to fall back on. So there was no real risk in that regard. And yeah, so that's why I just, I had such a great foundation. So it was very easy for me to take that shot. So you've got the foundation now, and now you've found genuine success in poker with this big win here. You've had other caches. You had a big win at the World Series of Poker. I think it was, uh, was it last summer or the summer before? Yes, last summer, yes. So do you see yourself ever moving on to taking a shot at something else, or you still have more to do in poker? Um, that's kind of a funny question. So the last probably three years, I keep telling people I'm going to be leaving the poker community, just kind of winding down. Um, I told myself once my sponsorship deals ended and those ended probably in 2016 and then one in 2017. And then I said, okay, well, once I, um, kind of not win a bracelet necessarily, but have like a big score during the summer that happened last year. And then I said, once I passed the million dollar mark in tournament earnings, which just happened (laughs) last week. So, um, I've kind of crossed all of those off my list. And the only, the last thing I'd like to do is kind of have a more inviting environment for women and maybe provide, uh, like a teaching outlet for them. So that once I do something to that effect, I think I'll kind of feel fulfilled in, you know, in, in this dream, if you will. And there are other avenues that I'm trying to kind of look at. One of them is actually in, in TV, but nothing related to poker and um, more of my, my military background with that. Um, but yeah, I guess I've been doing it for 12 years now. And so I feel like in a life 
you know, back in the day, someone would work the same job for 20 plus years. And that was their kind of their, their life path. But nowadays you can pivot and do so many different things. And my personality type leans more towards that. I like to have several different experiences. So I'm, I'm not sure what's on the horizon next. Maybe eventually I may someone have a family that could be my next life path. I'm not sure, but I will be pivoting in the near future. Jessica, I wanted to pick up on the subject of, uh, of making poker a better environment for women. And I think it's no secret that over the last 15, 20 years, whether it's a live poker room or whether it's an online operator, everyone would love it if there was more of an even split, if we had that 50-50 that balance of players. But in reality, it's more like 97-3. What do you think can be done to improve that environment? How do you think we can bring more women comfortably into the poker environment? Honestly, I think it's like a top-down effect because what happens is it's top-down and bottom-up, actually. Because when you go into a poker room as a female, um, it's obviously very intimidating. It's intimidating for men as well. When you sit down at a poker table, how you're received at the table, first off, is, is kind of like how you get your, you know, your foot in the door, so to speak. So when you sit down at the poker table, especially as a female, and you have men that still to this day say stuff to the effect of like you belong in the kitchen like what are you doing at the table this is a man's game like this stuff still is being said so here's the thing fine they say it but what needs to happen is other people need to speak up whether it's other players at the table even though it's not their responsibility however on the human level i feel that it is some of the responsibility to say that and let's say the, sure. the, the, the players the players let's say they don't say anything that's fine the dealer needs to speak up and say hey that's inappropriate and it won't be tolerated here However, that is another fail that they do. They don't say anything because they're working on tips. So would they want to piss off, you know, 97% of the field? Yeah. Probably not. So they don't say anything. Well, then guess what? If they don't say anything, then maybe they should call the floor over. But you know what I'm saying? So it's like starts at the bottom. However, if the environment that they were be, being in, like let's say the poker room manager had a meeting with everyone and said, listen, this is what's going to happen. If you hear something to this effect, that player will be warned and then they will be removed. You know what I'm saying? So I think from both angles, it needs to be attacked. Um, and that's the thing, like it still is being said to this day. I mean, literally this summer things are like the, I was at the table and stuff was saying, being said to that effect. And for me, obviously it doesn't bother me. I experienced this when I was in the military, obviously women are accepted into the military now. However, when you're in a flying squadron and it's all men, of course they're going to talk shit, you know? So I'm used to it. My skin is very thick. And plus obviously having my brother there to like protect, you know, quote unquote, protect me. Um, he, he wouldn't have any of it, but yeah. So I think it's just providing a more inviting environment and a safe environment because poker is not a man's game. You know, I mean, it's a human game. Everyone should be allowed to play equally and there shouldn't be, that stuff shouldn't be even being said, and especially in 2019. It's so archaic and such an archaic way of thinking um, and, you know, backwards way of thinking. So, you know, men wouldn't be here without women. So you're all welcome. <laughs> I would love to be at the table and hear, I mean, obviously I wouldn't love for it to happen, but if it did happen and hear something so I could say something to a person who was saying ridiculous shit like that. And if anyone wants to give me a hundred percent stake to play poker 24 hours a day, <laughs> I will patrol the tables. I'll police them. I'll be more than happy to stand up to any idiot that says anything like that. It's just so dumb. Like it's so, it's not even like, Take away the human aspect of it, right? Just look at it from a, like, it's dumb to keep people from playing poker. Like, it's stupid. Right. It's like, it, it's affecting their bottom line. It's the cash flow. <laughs> you want more money in poker. Therefore, the other, you know, 40, whatever, 7% of women that's lacking, you want that cash flow in the game. Like, how stupid are people? It's like the same people who make fun of amateurs at the table or talk shit to them, make them want to leave. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, like, this is how our, li our livelihood 
also we've seen what an amazing social justice warrior Joe Stapleton can be on social media. <laughs> Imagine if we unleashed him into the real world and had him jumping from poker table to poker table, from poker room to poker room, enforcing these rules. Correcting people's grammar and their <laughs> archaic points of view. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Right, exactly, definitely. Well, nothing gets me riled up more than when I'm at a table and someone says something like that. And I, you don't, don't know me that well, but over the years of me playing, I, I've only honestly had like one extreme argument. And other than that, it's been like trying to shut down these like trolls and these guys that say stuff. And of course, if I'm at the table and someone says something to that effect, like I put them in their place. You know, I'm very quick-witted and I'm such a smart ass, as my mom would say. So yeah, I, put, I shut them down straight away. But for other people who aren't, on that same, you know, that's not how they think and that's not how they want to speak, which is totally reasonable. They shouldn't have to deal with it. They should only have to deal with the fact that their skill level may not be matched, you know, to the someone else at the table. And that's it. There should be no other factors that come into play. Totally agree. Um, I want to focus on your family for a second. It seems like family is incredibly important to you. You mentioned nieces and nephews. What sorts of things about your life uh, would you encourage them to do and what sorts of things would you sort of steer them away from? Would you encourage them to sort of lead a similar life path with taking chances, maybe serving in the military, that sort of stuff? Well, um, now, honestly, if it was like as of today, I would probably steer them away from the military. Not so much because of um, anything other than the fact that they don't have to go down that route. And like I said, I grew up very fast. And I don't really recommend that, you know, um, I didn't get to have a lot of life experiences in my twenties that I think it's kind of vital, just like normal life stuff. Right. Um, I didn't get to have any of that because I had a top secret clearance. So I didn't get to go to parties. <laughs> I didn't get to have uh, any, any of those like fun, you know, going out, getting drunk, having a good time. Um, I think to follow their dream is the most important and to follow and to figure out what they actually are good at and what they want to do for my nieces and nephews. I always encourage them to be free thinkers. And, you know, to, of course, heed advice of their parents and of myself, but to also go their own way. So if they want to, you know, go to school for cosmetology or if they want to be a, a mechanic or whatever it is they want to do, or if they want to be, a, you know, a, a, a someone who works on Wall Street, you don't necessarily have to go to college for those things. You just have to persevere in what you're doing and, you know, keep your head down and, and work and stay focused. Do you think that the choices that you've made and the success you've had has also affected the adults in your family to be sort of uh, to take chances and to be freer thinkers and to maybe open up their eyes about things that maybe they hadn't seen or heard of before? I think, yes, I, I definitely think so. But I think it has more to do with the fact that I had done that I've done the military and I had done college. If I had just become a poker player and never sure. had any of these other things going on i don't think they would respect me as much and i don't think they would heed my advice or value my opinions as highly um i think now that they've seen that i i literally i lived the dream that i wanted to have i always wanted to travel around the world i didn't want to work for anyone um i always wanted to continue to try to be a good person and be friendly and nice and i think for the most part i've, I've been that way um now that i speak to them because for a while they didn't really agree with my lifestyle like my you know aunts and cousins and sister um, my brother they didn't really understand it as much. And, but now they realize that I've had so much free time to spend with their kids, to take them on trips, you know, to do things with them and actually, you know, visit with them. That'll that do taking, it a lot of the time. Oh yeah. That they're taking a, a better look at it, you know, and especially like the way that I eat, I eat very clean and I'm, you know, yoga and all these other things. Um, I think now they really do pay attention to it and they actually ask my advice for a lot of things, which makes me feel really good, you know? 
Um, as if when I will have ch- children and such, I'll ask my sister because she has four kids. I don't know how she does it. She's like super mom. Um, but you know, so it'll just be a little bit of a different, uh, situation, but yeah, I definitely think now they look at me in a different light, which is great because it makes me feel like I'm more successful if you will. Jessica, this has been an eye-opening, great interview. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, Lots of fantastic life advice here. Unfortunately, this is the time of the interview where I completely derail things and we play a stupid (laughs) trivia game. Oh, great. (laughs) Here we go. This week's week's stupid game is called Hello, Dolly. (laughs) And it's a quiz about dolls. It's easy. I thought it was going to be a quiz about musicals. I was excited for all of five seconds. (laughs) I don't know enough about musicals, unfortunately. Multiple choice. You're an American, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Multiple choice quiz about dolls here. Very easy. Question number one. In the movie Child's Play, many sequels to which have starred poker player and guest on this show, Jennifer Tilly, what is the brand name of the doll that later becomes Chucky? Ooh. Is it A, the My Buddy doll, B, the Best Friend doll, oh. C, Stabby McEvil face or D the good guy doll. Oh, I mean, I don't know. Your tone inflected on B, but D makes the most sense. I'll go with B. Oh, D was correct. The good uh-huh. guy doll. <laughs> what Dang a read, it. though. Man, I gotta <laughs> I gotta watch my inflection. <laughs> Question number two: What was the original name of the Cabbage Patch Kids dolls? My God, this is hard. I know, right? I don't play with dolls. I played with like GI Joes and stuff growing up. But continue. <laughs> A. Little people. B. Garden babies. C. My little babies. Or D. Chubsters. I think B. Garden Babies, incorrect. Little no. People, the original really? name of Cabbage That's Patch Kids. That's surprising because they have little people now. So I thought there would be a conflict of, um, you know, like trademark infringement. That's weird. Okay. I've never I didn't even know. Li- well, you knew there was little people now. That's more than I knew. Yeah. The, Question, all the, the little people. So. <laughs> you may know this one as a former intelligence officer. Question oh. number three. Not which officer, popular... <laughs> Which popular 1990s doll was banned from the NSA offices? Was it the Tickle Me Elmo? <laughs> wow, you sounded a lot like Tickle wow, Me Elmo. Wow, I know. Just the idea of banning the Tickle Me Elmo doll has just <laughs> made my day. Was it the, the A, the Tickle Me Elmo, B, Barbie, C, Furby, or D, Stretch Armstrong? Wow, before you asked this question, I was going to say Furby. I, I think it's whichever one has a recording device in it, but I don't know. Furby. Furby. I'm going to go with Furby, yeah. I don't Furby know. is correct, yes. They yeah. were afraid that the Furby would not only hear information, but would repeat it in Furbish. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing that the NSA offices now can't have any TVs, speakers, watches, no. phones, iPads, or anything else. Just... Sold, up, sold by Amazon, yeah, nothing. Yeah, let me. I can tell you about that for a brief second. Um, in Intel, you have like a, a vault that you work in, right? So you can't have anything, nothing that transmits either way. No phones, no radios, no outside communication whatsoever. So that goes across the board for sure. <laughs> I love this. I want to talk to you more about Intel stuff. <laughs> question. Yeah, definitely. Number, question number four. In 2016, the city of Baltimore hosted a convention attended by over 7,500 people 
mostly adult men, called BronyCon. Which type of doll are these people celebrating at BronyCon? Is it A, Care Bear dolls, B, My Little Pony dolls, C, Super Smash Brothers dolls, or D, Joseph Coney dolls? I mean, I really hope it's something masculine. I hope it's C. I think it's My Little Pony. It is, in Uh, fact, My Little Pony dolls. And they claim (laughs) it's not sexual, but don't Google it if you don't want that lie disproven. Were you in attendance? I did not go. I didn't make it this year. I couldn't get involved. <laughs> oh, question. Oh, that's so... Question. Okay. There's more questions. <laughs> There's seven questions. This is question number five. Which of the following was not an actual version of a Barbie doll? Was it A, Oreo Barbie? Yup, she was black. Was it B, <laughs> Pregnant Midge? Yup, she had a removable baby in her stomach. Was it C, totally tattoo Barbie? Yup, she had a tramp stamp. Or D, hipster Barbie? Yup, she came with a reusable shopping bag full of artisan cheeses. What's disturbing is that three out of these four are actually exactly. real things. <laughs> I really hope that it's, I, I think, I, uh, it's probably hipster Barbie, I think. Hipster Barbie is correct. Yep. So the least yeah, offensive it's, it's of sad. the four. It's sad. It should be one. It should be A. It should be A. That's disgusting. The, the good way you could know that this that was the was a correct answer is that I couldn't get away with making that one up. <laughs> I would get in trouble for that. Oh, Question terrible. number six. I think it's no surprise that at this point, most of us own a real doll. The industry standard on anatomically correct, realistic companion dolls. But real doll has recently unveiled their brand new Harmony X robot. What is the starting price on the Harmony X robot real doll? Is it $7,999, or $999? And what kind of a doll is this? Is this like a life-size doll or just like a baby doll? This is a life-size, human-size, and way-anatomically correct doll that's definitely not for having sex with. I will take A for $8,000. Wow. $7,999 is correct, and that's without any vaginal modifications. <laughs> so gross. Uh, I, I did have to look that up. Question number seven, the final question. Sure. On Monday... Sure, yeah. This Monday, two days ago, USA Today reported a story about a doll landing in a woman's backyard that she then felt compelled to burn and then slept with a knife for protection. (laughs) What kind of doll was it? A voodoo doll, clearly. Was it A, Annabelle, B, Pennywise the Clown, C, a gizmo doll, or D, a Donald Trump doll? Mm, I'm going to go with D. I also would have gone with D, but it was Pennywise the clown. Oh. The clown from it landed in her backyard. She oh burned gosh. it and slept with a knife. 
Jessica Dolly, thank you so much. What an awesome interview. We really appreciate being on the show, and I hope you win a couple more things before you move on. Thanks. Appreciate you having me. It was a lot of fun. Carry the load to every road in country code safe. Joe, what are your thoughts on the theme from Barcelona 2019? I like it, but it sounds a little bit like a Will Smith Miami knockoff. Are you having flashbacks to your epic journey across Florida? Is that the problem? I just can't stop thinking about Florida. (laughs) So yes, EPT Barcelona is actually already underway. Of course, it's a hugely long festival. You've got the national event at the front end, followed by the EPT main event. And that will be our primary focus, Joe. Although we are doing six days of live streaming this year. And we'll talk about day one in just a moment. As far as the EPT main event is concerned, that's the last five days following it through from day two to the final table. So that's Wednesday, the 28th of August to Sunday, the 1st of September. All the usual places, PokerStars YouTube channel and Twitch channel and Facebook. And we are live cards up every day at 12.30 p.m. local time. That's Central European summer time. And because it's Barcelona, Joe, because it's always a big event, always very popular with players, huge field to cut through. We can expect these to be five pretty long days as well. So fortunately, we will have our able assistants, Finton and Spraggy, joining us in the booth. Cool. Excellent. Happy to have those guys back. Uh, you know, at this point, you know, I go through the same thing every year at this time. I end up telling my family and friends, oh, I'm busy the next couple of weeks. I'm going to Barcelona. And they're always like, oh, Oh, Barcelona. Barcelona's my favorite city. Isn't Barcelona great? I'm like, yeah, it's pretty good. I don't fucking see it. I don't fucking see any of it. Now, I'm here to help you, Joe. Do you remember there was one specific lesson that you learned last year and you said, I must remember dot, dot, dot. What was the life lesson that you were meant to remember? I I don't. I don't remember it. Don't pick your restaurant based on whether they offer a massage. Oh, yes, absolutely. Now, the place we went to on the final night, that was solid. We should go back there. Yes, there are some nice restaurants facing the beach for sure. Look, it's a nice venue. I think it's an awesome place to go if you're a player, if you're a qualifier. Uh, It's one of the best destinations on the tour. That's why it's so popular. But it does make it harder work for us. But we're not complaining because I'm actually really excited to get my teeth into an EPT again. And I think you can expect, you know, five really strong days of main event coverage and more on that sixth day in just a moment. Plus, we've got some good stuff for you guys at home. Daily free rolls. And the free rolls are going to offer WCOOP tickets this time around because the World Championship of Online Poker kicks off 
pretty much the week after we get back from Barcelona. So we're going to give you the chance to play some WCOOP events by cashing in our free rolls to win some WCOOP tickets. That's fun. And this one I'm particularly excited about, Joe, the EPT Online. Of course, at the start of the year, we had the mini PSPC. It then became the EPT Online in Monte Carlo. We're doing it again in Barcelona, a mini version of an EPT main event, 1,000th of the price. So $5.50 to play, single re-entry, just like the real deal. Follows the same format and same structure, but obviously with shorter blind levels. I think it's 15-minute blind levels in the EPT online. And it plays over the five days that we're streaming the EPT main event. But the biggest thing about this, the most important thing about this, is the added value. Because we're juicing the prize pool. And do you remember, Joe, we had that conversation after Monte Carlo. What would people prefer? A big prize up top for the winner or lots of little prizes for more players? And yeah. guess what? Feedback was 50-50. So we're doing both. If oh, you that's win, cool. <laughs> if you win the EPT online, you are going to get a full EPT Open Sochi package worth just wow. over $3,000. However, we are also going to drop a bunch of $11 EPT Open Sochi satellite tickets during the first level on day one. 20 random tables... Every player at that table is going to get an $11 ticket. So that's cool. That's an incentive to make sure you're in from the start. Registration is open until the very beginning of day two. But if you're in from the very start for the very first hand at the very first level, there's a chance that you could get one of those tickets will be randomly dropped. And uh, you don't have to worry about me and James winning them because we'll be in Spain and we won't be able to play along with yeah, you guys. Sadly, we can't participate in the free rolls or the EPT online. Um, so you said that you were very excited about something brand new, Joe. I am assuming that you're referring yes. to Chase Your Dream, which is what we're doing on yes. Tuesday the 27th. So this was an online promotion that we ran back in July. I'm sure... By the of- way, re- really quick, I am I am legitimately excited about this. I think this is so fucking cool, and I'm just going to let James tell you all the details. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's very simple overview. I mean... Anyone who's been following our TV shows and the stuff we do for some time will remember, I mean, even as far back as the big game, Joe, that you worked yeah. on kind of nine years ago now. And maybe that's why. Maybe it's the, maybe it's like the, the similarity to the big game that really gets me going about this. Sure. So we did the big game back then. We had Shark Cage in 2014. We had the uh, Cash Challenge in 2017. And with those events, what we did is we obviously invited people to try and qualify for a TV event. But in addition to finishing in the top 20 of a free roll, you then had to send in an audition video and you then had to go through a casting process. And we effectively selected qualifiers to bring to these events. And that's what we've done. So this promotion ran back in July. We have cast five qualifiers, five PokerStars players who are going to be coming to Barcelona and playing against some of their heroes in a live streamed game, which is going to be a series of timed tournaments. And in a timed tournament, the blinds don't go up, so it plays very much like a cash game. It's going to play like a deep stack cash game. You've got Lex Veldhaus at the table. You've got Fatima wow. Maria de Melo. You've got Chris Moneymaker. You have got Bruce Buffer, the voice of the octagon. And another pro to be confirmed. And each qualifier is going to take it in turns to come to the table to play against these pros, and they will only have 25 hands to build a stack. So what do you do? Do you play the patience game and you try and grind it up a little bit, or do you just go for it and try and double your stack to make sure that you're a winner? I have questions. First question, the lineup doesn't change other than the qualifier? Correct. 
Okay. Second question. No limit throughout? No. Pot limit pre-flop, no limit post-flop. To try and stop the obvious tactic of just shoving pre to freeze the action and steal blinds. Sure, of course. Okay, so pot limit pre-flop, no limit after the flop. Tried and true format for this type of situation. And so, and, and what's the prize? The prize is 10,000 euros for the winner. So, five qualifiers all play their 25 hands. Who are the two best performing qualifiers? Well, first, there's a meta game between the five pros and celebrities at the table because their stacks are going to be assessed across the entire day. And whoever puts in the best performance, whoever wins between those five guys, yeah. is going to get 10,000 euros for the charity of their choice. So there's something in it for them, too. It's not just in their best interest to like let some of the qualifiers double through them. Correct. And then the qualifiers, the two best performing qualifiers, so the two qualifiers who have the biggest stacks at the end of their sessions, will play heads up for 10K. Very cool. And we're streaming all of it? And we're streaming the whole thing from start to finish. So this one starts an hour later than normal, 1.30 p.m. Central European Summertime. And remember, this is uh, on PokerStars TV. It's on YouTube. It's on Twitch. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be different. And I think the, on previous occasions when we've done these events, we've not live streamed them. They've been recorded just for TV. So with it being live, live, that brings a few challenges. There's a lot of moving parts. And logistically, it's not an easy thing for us to pull off. But I think it should be very entertaining to watch. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And ultimately, I think we're going to have five people who are going to have a whale of a time in Barcelona. And hopefully, whether they win or lose, are going to have an amazing experience playing in this game. We've got uh, a guy from Germany who is a social worker who worked with refugees during the migrant crisis a few years ago. All We've right. got a guy from France who is a product designer. He created the world's only sex toy for dogs. That is a thing. Google it. Hot <laughs> doll. Uh, we have got a budding DJ and chemical engineering student from Spain who can't wait to meet Ramon Kalilas. Uh, we have got uh, a lady from Tenerife who's actually originally from Yorkshire, but has been working in Tenerife for the last 15 years as a carer. And we have got a military vet from Canada, a guy who served in Bosnia and Afghanistan as well. Those are the five players. They are going to be partnered with coaches from their respective countries. So, for example, Danielle, being a Brit, she's going to be partnered with Spraggy. Daryl, being Canadian, we've drafted in Griffin Benger to be his coach. So there's a few little surprises, a few little quirks along the way, but I'm hoping it's going to be a really fun event to watch on Tuesday the 27th. I think it'll be a fun event to watch, and I think it'll be a fun event to commentate on. I can't wait. I love real people playing poker. So, six consecutive days of Cards Up coverage on our EPT Barcelona live stream next week. Look forward to your company. Hashtag PokerStarsTV if you want to join the conversation on Twitter while we are streaming next week. Of course, once Barcelona has wrapped, the next live event is in Sochi, and we're going to give one of our loyal podcast listeners the chance to win a satellite ticket to that event right now. One of them loves the EPT, knows it inside out, and would do anything for the European Poker Tour. The other one is Joe Stapleton. It's Superfan versus Stapes. Well, this week we welcome to the Poker in the Ears podcast from Norfolk in the United Kingdom, Mr. James Reed. Hello, James. Good afternoon. I thought it was James Red. 
Yeah, no, I get mistaken quite a lot, to be fair. That must be super annoying to have people make that joke, and I'm so sorry I did it. I'm actually really ashamed. <laughs> that's that's absolutely fine. I'll let you off this time. You should live Thank you. your life in shame. I think James Reed's a pretty cool name. What do you find yourself doing on a daily basis, James? Uh, I work with heavy horses. What? Sorry, what is a heavy horse? Is it different than a regular horse? Yeah, yeah it's like a normal horse, but quite a lot heavier. Are you talking so about you... an actual horse and not a piece of gym equipment? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, an, an actual horse, like uh, show horses and Suffolk Punch and Clydesdale. Okay, so gigantic horses. And who needs heavy horses? Is this just for rich people that like to have horses? You're not far off it, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> they used to be useful on farms, but now, yeah, they're more of a luxury. That's cool. I'm I loving guess. the fact that we found someone who not only doesn't work in IT but works in the very antithesis of information technology. Horses. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Am I'm, I, and you're, you're some sort of horse tinder, like you're, it's your job to make the horses hook up. Uh, you, you can you can go with that one. Yeah, yeah, we do breed them. <laughs> you know what? I'm just I'm not going to get too much into the details of of uh, of horses banging on the air. I'll just leave it at that. Now, James, when I think of the UK poker scene, I'm afraid Norfolk doesn't spring to mind. Uh, are you mainly an online player or do you travel to play live events? Yeah, no, we're in the middle of nowhere, so I'm mainly online. Um, I play in like a midweek poker league in the pub. Well, that's um, cool. Go. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, do, you, do you back any players? No. I'm <laughs> so the best you, you, don't, you no. don't have any. You no. don't have any. You don't have any. Horses. Oh, he did it. He did it. Yeah, I was trying to avoid it. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry, I have unbridled enthusiasm. Oh, no, no. Make it end. Make it end. You gotta, hey, you got to make hay while the oh. sun shines. Oh, oh, quickly. Segue. Move on. <laughs> uh, yes, please. James, being a UK poker player, that does mean that you can compete for an EPT Open Sochi satellite ticket. Uh, you have chosen... As your specialist subject, the first part of the so-called Cornetto trilogy, Shaun of the Dead, Edgar Wright's movie from 2004. Um, is this a personal favorite? Oh, 100%. Uh, I remember me and my best friend when I was younger. We watched it once and then pretty much got addicted and I couldn't count how many times I've actually seen it since then. Now, Joe, at the top of the show, you said you were bored the first time you watched this. How did you oh, feel wow. when you revisited it? Even more bored. And controversially, I... I am going to back Joe. I think this is uh, a horribly overrated movie. It's so overrated. Like, there's a few funny moments in it, but nothing really happens in this movie. It's a lot of waiting around and arguing, and everyone's bad at stuff. None of the good things that happen in the movie directly happen as a result of any of the characters actions or being good at anything or like, it's just all really lame. And here's, here's the worst part. I love Edgar Wright. I think he's a great director. And I think had he not directed this movie, it would be unwatchable. Wow. Well, here's That's, the weird thing. Literally just torn apart my favorite film. Look, I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> James, you're, you're entitled to your opinion. I mean, you're wrong, but you're entitled to your opinion. But interesting, <laughs> yeah. I refer to it being as part one of a trilogy. I think Hot Fuzz is brilliant, and that's my favorite of these movies. And I also really like The World's End as well. This, I just think, is the weakest of the three. And yet, for some reason, it's the one that everyone raves about. 
Well, it's got Simon Pegg running around hitting people in the head with a cricket bat, so I think Barely. can't really beat that. that. That is undeniably true. Anyway, Patrick sides with you, James. Patrick did enjoy Shaun of the Dead, and he has compiled his usual 10-question quiz, plus a tiebreaker if we need it. Um, I don't need to explain the rules or the format. You know how it works. You get to go first, so please give me a question between 1 and 10. Uh, got to go with 7. Always coming seven. What is the name of the girl in the garden, one of the first zombies to attack, who was seen earlier in the film working the tills at the supermarket? Uh, that's uh, Mary. It is Mary for two points. All right. I'm uh, starting off a little tilted. It's one I would have known without the choices. It's five. Joe, five. pick a number. I'm going to go with a number that is nearly half of seven, three. Number three, where does Sean work? Sean works at an appliance store and it's got two, I wanna say like eggly appliances. I'm gonna need the choices though, um, uh, Just to be clear, I don't need the name of the store, Joe, just the type oh. of store. He works at an appliance store. Okay, Patrick's gone with electronic store. That's a lost in translation thing between the US and the UK. I'm gonna give it to you, two points. Excellent. Uh, your next question, James. One, two, four, five, six, eight, nine, or ten? Uh, let's go with four. Question number four. What does Ed want Sean to get from the shop? Oh, Cornetto. Correct, for two points. <laughs> the easy one. <laughs> Patrick may, may not have known this was part one of the Cornetto trilogy. <laughs> to be fair, I don't know whether you've noticed a pattern, but if Patrick likes the movie, the questions tend to be easier. It's the movies that Patrick <laughs> doesn't like where he makes the questions well tough. Me, then. Uh, so there you go, F future superfans. Pick a movie that you think our intern will like. Uh, Joe, <laughs> second question. Question number one. How old is Sean? Sean is 29 years old. Correct, for two points. Wow, this is a high-scoring game. I'm not used to this. I'm going to write stuff down. <laughs> uh, your next question, James. Uh, ten. Ten is available. Where do Ed and Sean shoot Pete? Uh, it was in in the pub. Whereabouts on his body? Oh, okay. In, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. uh, in the head. More specifically. Okay. Uh, I'll take the options then. Is it his foot, his hand, his stomach, his eye? Oh, his eye. For one point, congratulations. Right, Joe, next question. Two, five, six, eight, or nine? James, let's drop a deuce. What song starts to play on the Winchester jukebox after Liz breaks up with Sean? After Liz breaks up with Sean, what song plays in the jukebox? Oh, I, it's, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know the name of the song. I might have to take the choices. Do you want to take the choices? If you leave me now, give me the choices. Is it White Lines, You're My Best Friend, Ride on the River, the EPT-10 rap, <laughs> or If You Leave Me Now? If You Leave Me Now. Correct, for one point. Damn it! You should have just gone for it and you would have taken the lead. Penultimate question, James. Five, six, eight, or nine? Uh, let's go with five. Question number five. What type of car does Philip have? I just need the brand, don't need the model. A uh, Jag. It is a Jag for two points. Ah, uh, Jag, you are. <laughs> or Jaguar, as some American Jaguar. persons would say. Uh, six, eight, or nine, Joe? 
Let's go with my lucky number nine. What is the name of the shopkeeper who Sean visits? Oh, man. This is so dumb of me to have not, like, clocked this and remembered it. I need the choices. Is it Wilson, Nelson, Bernie, or John? Nelson. It is Nelson for one point. So going into the final round, James, you have a one-point lead over Joe. Your final question can be either six or eight. Uh, let's go six. What is David's job? Uh, um... Oh, he's a, he's a lecturer. He is a lecturer for two points. Oh, shit. Ed and Sean <laughs> say he's a chartered accountant, and he always denies <laughs> it. And the final question is question eight. Joe, what nickname does Sean's mum give him? Pickle. Pickle for two <laughs> points, meaning it was very, very close. If you had just taken a stab with the <laughs> Chicago song, it would have been a tied game, and we would have gone to the tiebreaker. But instead, it is nine points to James, our superfan, eight points to Joe Stapleton. Congratulations, James. You have won, which means you will get an EPT Open Sochi satellite ticket. In addition, you can pick a single piece of PokerStars swag. Would you like an ice tray, a green PokerStars t-shirt, or a PokerStars water bottle? Uh, let's go with the t-shirt, shall we? You can have the t-shirt. Thank you very much for coming on the show and congrats. All right, my babies, we are almost out of time for this week's show. Next week, no podcast. You'll just have to settle for dozens of hours of live poker from Barcelona. If you don't remember, scroll back a few minutes. We just went over it all. And just to be clear, we did reference this last week because Barcelona is quite meaty. We are going to take the week after that off as well. So no podcast for two weeks. When we are back, Joe, and I believe the 12th of September will be when our next podcast is released, I think that we should try and speak to one or more of the players who are taking part in the Chase Your Dream event on the 27th. A couple of our qualifiers. I assume whoever wins 10,000 euros is going to be pretty happy to talk to us when this is all over. So. Do you know what? I don't think they've signed their release forms yet, so I'll make sure the podcast is put in there as a fait accompli. Yeah, let's uh, let's make that part of the deal. Without the podcast, you get nothing. <laughs> All right, guys, no podcast for two weeks. Do make sure to tune in next week to Live Poker from Barcelona. Until then, subscribe, like, comment, leave us a, a nice little message, tweet at us, use the hashtag Poker in the Ears, guest suggestions, Poker Movie Monday suggestions, Super Fan versus Stape suggestions. And one last thing I will say is, it doesn't have to be a movie or a TV show. Yes, it's slightly easier, but we are open to other subjects. So think outside the bun a little bit there, if you will. That is all of the time we have got for this week's show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. No.